0: Hello and welcome to Spike Nerd Culture, uh, creative leadership podcast that aims to equip, encourage, and empower young leaders. And uh, today we have our good friend, Jonathan, with us. Uh, and we have a very, very special topic, and that's the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And um, the reason I have Jonathan on these podcasts is because I've talked with him, I've had several conversations, and I think this is a conversation that you guys want to hear. I think that it's going to enlighten us. Uh, But Jonathan, can we just start with you just introducing yourself a little bit and why you're passionate about the Middle East and why you think it's important for all of us to know what's actually happening in the background of all the things that we're seeing on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, that's happening right now in Israel and Palestine.
1: Yeah, uh, thank you, Stephen. I'm really excited to be here and do this podcast with you so for those who are listening i'm jonathan and i'm a student um with a with my background in conflict resolution and political science and i'm also very passionate about international relations and history and i believe that you need a good understanding of either of those i mean both of those to understand either one of those and yeah we're coming to the point as to why i'm passionate about the middle east and why we should be aware of what's going on there. So I'm passionate because growing up, reading the Bible, especially the Old Testament, and then looking in real life with in, in current scenario, those places still there that are mentioned there in the book, uh, the people groups and everything, and the conflict that's going on, it always intrigued me. And the other reason is because The events that are happening in the Middle East, they affect the policies of countries around the world, no matter how far they are from there. Like they are not isolated. The events that happen there are not isolated, but you can feel the effects reverberating across the globe. And that's why even for people like uh, listeners from India, I would say who think, no, we are so far away from there. Why should we be concerned about it? No, it's affecting the policies and decisions that your government makes. And if you're going to take a stand on some of these issues, it's better that you know uh, what actually is happening there and has happened before you make any assumptions or take any sides, some would say.
0: Okay, Jonathan, yeah, you bring a good point about assumptions. And I think there's been a lot of assumptions because even for me, I remember watching firsthand on the television, watching these uh, Palestinians throwing rocks at the uh, police. And that was just all we were being shown. I didn't know why. And that's kind of where I want to start. Um, what's happening, what was happening a few weeks ago that led to these Palestinians throwing rocks? Because I'm sure it just wasn't like something that just happened out of thin air. And then also one thing that I heard, of course, was, like, was the evictions that were happening, because that always is a hot you know, topic, you know, every time you talk about Palestine, Israel. So let's just talk about that to begin with this segment. What are your opinions or what is the truth on the ground or what was happening to cause all this to start happening?
1: Yeah, uh, so the really violent explosion that happened on the 7th of May, it's very interesting because, like you said, you asked what are the events that led to that happening. So if you go back a couple of weeks behind, we go back to the first day of the Ramadan on the thirteenth of April. So it is also celebrated as the Remembrance Day by Israel, where they remember all the fallen soldiers and civilians who have been victims of terror attacks. And this event was happening closer to the Al Aqsa Mosque. And so, because uh, it's close to the mosque, and the first day of Ramadan was also the Ramadan, also. For, um, was on the same day, the first day. The Israeli authorities asked um, the Jordanians, since the Jordanians, the royal family of Jordan, are the official custodians of the Al-Aqsa Mosque, as they belong to the Hashemite family, the same prophet and the same tribe and the same family line as the Prophet Muhammad, they are the custodians. So, yeah, the authorities requested the Jordanians, uh, if they could ask the people at the mosque to not use loudspeakers on that day when the events were supposed to take place so that the official address that will be given by the Israeli president during the Remembrance Day set of events wouldn't be drowned out. So the authorities uh, didn't agree to it. So the prayers went as planned. They used the speakers to deliver the prayer call in the evening. And that's when the police went in and actually cut the wires because they didn't agree to turn it off. So it wasn't really a violent confrontation what happened that day on the 13th, on the 13th of April, but that's where we could say the initial stages of the conflict started. And coming back to the 7th of May, so that was the last Friday of Ramadan and the prayers were supposed to finish and there were around 70,000 people who gathered that day for the evening prayer. So there were some... um, a good amount of security. The policemen were there just to prevent any incidents from happening, and um, yes, yeah, so that day it turned a bit violent because um, the police were there to control the crowds and everything. So that that was the day when the violent, when the conflict really exploded, where they started throwing rocks at the police because the Palestinians believed that since we are in a big crowd and the authorities are there. Uh, that's what I, of course, there would be hidden agendas as well, but there's a general consensus what people think. You know, just prepare in case anything, any violent competition takes place, they can you know, throw stones and rocks. So, so that day it subsided when the police retaliated with force. And then the following day, on the 8th of May, it's called the Night of Power by the Muslims because that's it's one of the special days of Ramadan, because Ramadan, or some would say, They believe that's the day when the prophet received the holy scriptures from heaven so on that day it really the confrontation grew up in intensity and the police had to enter the mosque where they fired rubber bullets and stun grenades and yes smoke shells as well so that was a line that they crossed you could say in the sense they stepped into the mosque premises and uh, they started confronting the protesters and then it happened and then on the 10th of May two days after that the second time again the security forces entered mosque and that day the, it was really violent compared to the other two days in the sense it it, it, it grew up in a, in a really big way because that same day coincidence, coincided with something they call as the Jerusalem day or the day when Jerusalem, the old city and the new city, the East and West Jerusalem was unified because when Israel was formed as a state, part of Jerusalem was still under the Jordanian control. And during one of the wars, um, the Israelis occupied it and brought the entire city under their control. So that, that day is is very special for many nationalist, uh, nationalistic uh, Israelis. They take out a parade and they pass through the Muslim neighborhoods around the mosque and everything. So the police too knew that this day is it's going to be really sensitive and it's going to be hard to deal with because you have a bunch of nationalist Israelis who are taking a parade and these Palestinians who are doing the prayers there and it's one of the um, significant days of the Ramadan calendar and another event that was going on during this time that many people don't look into it is the there was a case going on regarding eviction of around 13 Palestinian families from an area called Sheikh Jarrah so it's if you go behind as to why they were evicted this land initially did not come under the Israeli borders when the nation was recognized internationally but even before the state was formed, this land was bought by certain Jews from the Ottomans when the Ottoman Empire was there. So they literally, they legally had their deeds, but the newly formed um, borders did not include them. So, yeah, going, it it, it, it changed hands between different uh, Jewish authorities or different Jewish owners, you could say. But the Palestinians were. Certain Palestinians during one of the peace accords were settled there by the Jordanian authorities and they were supposed to pay some kind of rent. It was a rental agreement. But the Palestinians still believed it is their territory because it didn't fall under the Israeli, internationally recognized Israeli borders. So this case was going on and the main point of contention was for the last 70 years, these Palestinians, they haven't paid the rent due to the Jews or, or Jews or Israelis' were owning that land where these people were staying, so the court was supposed to give their judgment on the tenth of May, the same day as well. And there were also crowds who were expecting to who were expected to react in a, a violent way if, if the verdict did not come as they wanted to. So the verdict too was postponed; it wasn't given that day. And because the police were really well prepared, and they changed the Route the parade was supposed to take because they knew it would turn really violent, and they got intelligence from sources that the Palestinians have stocked up rocks and stones inside the mosque to pelt at the people. So they knew it's going to be a really big problem if they, yeah, if they were given a free hand. So the parade took a different route, and so now uh, this is where the Hamas openly gets involved. So the Hamas gives an ultimatum to all the security forces, especially the police who are there close to the mosque, that they're supposed to vacate the mosque premises premises and the security forces who are stationed at Sheikh Jarrah to control any outpouring of conflict due to the verdict. They, they were asked to vacate as well by the Hamas. They were given an ultimatum that by this time, by this day, if you don't vacate your positions, we'll start attacking you. Um, of course, you can't comply to a terrorist organization's demands just like that. So, yeah, so the security places stood their ground and the protest, those are violent protests because, and then for the second time on the 10th of May, the Israeli forces went back into the mosque to control the protesters and they fired at them, not live bullets, uh, rubber bullets, and they used the crowd control measures. And at the same time, the Hamas started firing their rockets as well because they, their demands were not met. Or the Israeli forces didn't comply to their demands to vacate um, their positions close to them, around the mosque and Sheikh Jarrah. Yeah, so that's like a background to how the conflict started and what happened during the first few days of the
0: conflict. So um, Jonathan, I want to ask you because uh, all over social media you're seeing two things, I stand with Israel or free Palestine. So I want to talk about these two sides um so the people who are saying free palestine um what are their intentions and who are, who are we freeing palestine from and oh what do what is their intention what is their goal okay so before we
1: before okay uh, we all uh, a lot of people agree that they have to free palestine but before that let's go a step backwards looking at how exactly did the Palestinians end up there, or how exactly did they end up as stateless refugees? This goes back to 1947 when, sorry, 1948, when Israel got independence and, not independence, when Israel officially was recognized as a state or a country. So right around this time, so the the Middle East, there was a good Jewish population in other, Middle East and North African countries as well, before the formation of the state. So many people think it's mostly Jews from Russia and Europe who came to Israel and settled there. Yeah, a lot of people came from there fleeing persecution and systematic killing through Holocaust and everything. But also there was a substantial population of Arabs in countries like Algeria, Morocco, Egypt, um, and Arabian countries as well, like Jordan and Iraq. So around the same time when the state of Israel was formed um, and the Arab armies attacked Israel the very next day, as soon as they were uh, granted the state of a uh, nation, a lot of Jews left their Arab and North African countries, their own homes, their own properties and their properties and their, yeah, their household and everything because there was a genuine cause of concern because it was turning into sectarian in nature. Uh, like an Arab Jewish conflict so they were they had a fear for their lives and it it is a genuine fear when you are in a Muslim dominated country and you're Jews and so around 800,000 Jews emigrated from those Arab and North African countries around that time that's a big number and many people don't know that actually and around 600,000 of those came to Israel while around Say between 150 and 200,000 Jews went to the US. Yeah, so uh, you you should remember that there were also a lot of Israeli refugees who came from these lands. Many people don't know that, and it's and some people sometimes maybe you know, but people choose to ignore. Yeah, so then the Palestinians were still um, in areas of their own as defined under international agreement, but the Arab countries encouraged the Palestinians to move out of their places or where they were residing already telling that you know you guys vacate the places we'll invade israel we will destroy the nation and then you can come back and settle wherever you were so the palestinians willingly vacated many of their places and they moved towards the outer areas expecting to come back after a few days or a few weeks when um, israel will be destroyed by the arab countries the coalition of arab countries like egypt syria jordan lebanon and everything. And but we all know what happened. Israel defeated the Arab countries that attacked it, and they were able to hold on to, your, to their borders and the lands allotted to them. And that's how the Palestinians ended up as refugees without any defined area of their own. or they just got stuck. The biggest entity or player to be blamed for this crisis. As to why the Palestinians ended up as refugees, it's the Arabs, the Arab countries, some of the really powerful ones at that time, like Egypt, Syria, and Jordan. Because listening to them, the Palestinians, decided to leave some of their homes and lands and hoping that they would come back. But yeah, things didn't go according to plan. And that's how they ended up as refugees. And so I think that answered your question.
0: Yeah, so... Yeah. um, So now, of course, we have these Palestinians now who are coming back. Um, How's that relationship been with the Israelis? And what do you think uh, the Israelis should respond? So I know um, I just saw the other day that the U.S. President uh, Biden just made a declaration that he supports a two state uh, solution. Is that possible, in your opinion? Is a two-state solution possible where the Israeli and Palestinians can live together? So just, this is not
1: the first time that such an effort is being made. And there were four recorded instances in the past where both the sides could have come together and agreed on certain terms. and And during all those four terms, the Israelis were okay to give certain concessions and they were on the table to sign the deal to keep their end of the deal, but the Palestinians just pulled out. Like even during one of the peace talk process when Yasser Arafat was in the US in Camp David, I think he was there for like a week and he just said no to every proposition that the Israelis put forward. So, yeah, a two-state solution is possible until it's only possible only if people on either side are willing to actually sit down and talk. Because right now it's like a stalemate. And the Palestinians think, I don't know why they have this thought, but a big number of those think that there's still a day will come when they'll just push all the Israelis away into the sea and they'll just occupy all the lands. But that's just impossible practically. It's not going to happen. And they need to come into terms with reality, I would say. And only then, uh, a state solution would be possible. But, but yeah, it's not impossible, but the mindset of some of the Palestinian leaders has have to change
0: for that to happen. So let's talk about, um, a lot of people are saying I stand with Israel as well. Um, and of course, few in number, but I would say a lot of people are looking at Israel as a victim in this battle as well. But like some people, of course, are looking at Palestinians as the victim. Um, can we talk about the Israeli side? So the people who are supporting Israel and saying, I stand with Israel, what are they standing for and why are they fighting for Israel? So a big support base that forms the Israeli side of people who
1: support them comes from evangelical Christians. And some of them, many of the supporters just blindly support the state because they believe it's, it's the promised land that uh, was allotted to uh, them by by God, but people, yeah, that's what I'm saying is like, you you can't let people give that excuse that because they're chosen or because they have this preordained plan, they can get away with anything. Because the same God who gave them the land or allotted them the land also gave them the Ten Commandments, you know, to not to commit murder, not to commit adultery, you know. To, and he also gave them many other commandments to take care of the sojourners who are with you. You know, you should not be treated as an alien. So I think people should start thinking that, yeah, it's okay to support Israelis. And yeah, they are, it's not, I'm not saying that Israelis are totally guilty or they're totally innocent. They have certain valid points as well and they deserve a safe place where they can live in a state of their own. But um, it's 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 important when you say you support Israel are you looking at the actions they are doing uh, the policies they are making do they align and do they line up with your belief system for example let's say you're a christian and you tell people like hey love your neighbors as yourself and you know god is love are they doing that because there are palestinians christians too so how do you deal with them not all Palestinians are muslims so i think since the majority of their support base is from christians especially evangelicals like even Uh, One of the Israeli leaders, I think it was some minister, he said that we should start relying on support from American Jews because the evangelicals in the U.S. are, they give us more support than American Jews itself. So you can see how much of an influence they have there and that influence can be used to make a positive change if they want.
0: So I want to also talk about the idea right now, of course, everyone who's looking at the conflict is looking at Israel really being heavy handed. Can you talk to us about that? Why is Israel being really heavy handed in this conflict right now? Um, Do you think it's fair? Uh, Is there a reason why they're being heavy handed? Um, Because I think that's kind of one of the things that's really come to define this is that A lot of people are looking at the, in a sense, you could call them war crimes. Some people are calling them, you know, they're going against a lot of, like, uh, a lot of the UN, you know, type of, uh, in a sense, you know, uh, just war. Um, So what what do you have to say to that? Like, the people who are saying, Israel is being really heavy-handed. I stand with Palestine, free Palestine from Israeli rule.
1: So uh, whenever we look at any conflict, and it's always... Before we, when we see people who are being affected due to this, we should also sit and see other people who are benefiting from this. So it's, it's important to ask that question here because the, the recent developments happening in the political spectrum of uh, both the Israeli government and the Palestinian government are very interesting. And uh, The Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu is embroiled in corruptions in some corruption cases and also he didn't get the required number of seats the recent elections to form a government of his own so he was supposed to lose his prime ministership sometime during the may during may because there because there, no single party won enough seats to form a government on their own so the opposition parties came together along with some arab israeli parties to form a government of their own and that would have resulted in netanyahu having to vacate his seat and they have a time period of, I think, a couple of weeks to form the coalition. And if they can do that in, those, in that time period, then another elections, uh, the elections will take place again. So Netanyahu has been in power for far too long and he doesn't, he, he doesn't seem too ready to accept that he has to leave. And also, he's also embroiled in these corruption cases that were being conducted in the courts during this first week of May. So it's interesting because this conflict that escalated has hugely uh, increased the ratings of Netanyahu right now because he's even though he's involved in corruption and other mismanagement, he's always seen as a leader who, who strongly responds to terrorism and threats to Israel with a heavy hand. And I think he's playing that card right now to garner public support and win another term. So... Yeah, I'm not saying this entire thing is a conspiracy, but you could say the beginning part could be a conspiracy, more, more likely to be a conspiracy, or pre-planned, you could say. Not pre-planned, but they knew the consequences, but they still allowed to get it through, because Israelis have a really good intelligence structure. And I'm sure they must have known that um, rocks and, you know, stones are being brought into the mosque to throw against the people. I mean, yeah, it's, it's taking in that many rocks, and not the people not knowing it. No, that's important. Like no. I think then they had a fair idea of what's about to happen and still let it happen because uh, it would uh prove as an advantage to certain people in power on the Israeli side. Same time on the other side, the president of Palestine, Mahmoud Abbas, he's also the leader of Palestinian Liberation Organization. And elections were supposed to happen there as well in April, but they were postponed indefinitely till the end of may the date hasn't decided yet and hamas was close to where they were highly favorable to win the elections on the palestinian side as well so maybe the palestinian side too thought okay you know what let's just instigate these riots and let it happen because then hamas would come out and we know they would respond very strongly and it will reinforce their image as a terrorist organization then the international community will condemn it And it would decrease their chances of coming into play as a legit political force. You know, so people think all these things, Bill. So you can see it's it's a big power play that's happening. It's not like an epic confrontation between Arabs and Israelis. Yeah, it's been like that over a period of time. But what's happening right now is just simple power play of different leaders trying to retain their hold on power. It's as simple as that.
0: Wow, wow, wow. This is some good stuff. So what... Um, let's just do positives and negatives. Like, what do you think the Israeli side has done well, and what do you think the Palestinian side has done well? If we could say, what has the Hamas done well, and what has the IDF done well? Yeah, uh, I would like to give um, some answers to your previous question as well. That um,
1: I didn't really give an answer to some of them. For example, you asked, did you do you think the Israelis were heavy-handed? If I'm right, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I would say they were a bit heavy-handed because, like I said, you know, the this, the beginning part of the conflict, peop, the authorities knew what was going to happen. They still let it happen, but I would say things went out of hand. Things were taken too far. Far, like no one expected Hamas to fire hundreds of rockets. You know, they they I think they fired around four thousand rockets until now. That's a big number. So I would just say that once it once it escalates both sides you know try to intensify their attacks and that's how is the israelis too you could say were seen as being heavy-handed and they were a bit heavy-handed they could have managed it better because every time they chose to be heavy-handed the other side you know if both sides are trying to do the same thing it just keeps keeps increasing and increasing one of them is supposed to take a step back and do play defensive you could say and one of the most powerful image was when the israeli bomb. When the Israeli, One of the Israeli just dropped a bomb in one of the big apartment complex, where people say they were journalists and everything. But um, many news reports or media reports forgot to mention that uh, the Israeli government gave them a time frame, the Israeli armed forces. They actually called the people there and they let them know that, hey, we are going to bomb this building. You have, I think, like 20 minutes to vacate it, or there'll be a bomb drop. So you could say they were they were not just being genocidal, trying to not considering the lives of Palestinians. I mean, who will do that? Calling your enemy and telling him, hey, "Look at your place, we're going to bomb this place." So yeah, they 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 tried their best to minimize civilian casualties, but because it's such a densely populated area, and there were some heavy handedness, that some of the casualties that could have been avoided weren't avoided. Yeah. And what was your
0: next question? So, I mean, I actually wanted to talk to you, even that I I wanted to talk about the positive and negatives of what did Hamas do, you know, good and bad. And on the Israeli side as well, the IDF. what have they done good and bad. But with that as well, um, the image I get is, of course, that building was also apartments, you know, so a lot of people lost their belongings. So like a lot of people are homeless now because of these bombs. Uh, what do you have to say to that? Um, I mean, what, you know, is the responsibility of the international body when a lot of these Palestinians, right? They're not the ones who are sending these bombs, right? It's not, you know, their fault, you know, but their apartments are getting leveled. They don't have a lot of, of course, um, a lot of resources on the ground. Um, so a lot of people have been really critical of Israel because they're making the living standard really horrible for the Palestinians in Gaza. Um, can you talk to us about that? Like, what is, uh, well, what are the positives and negatives here, and what um, would you do if you are a leader? I guess you know what what is the perfect solution for this, or is there a solution for this? Coming to positives and negatives, I think the Israelis did a good move by not announcing the verdict.
1: For those settlers to vacate on that day because it, it made the situation worse so they made a good decision there and uh doing things like you know calling up people and letting them know yeah hey, there's going to be a bombing there so those are good things those human humanitarian things that you're doing uh so that's good and on the Palestinian side if if you ask me what they did good i don't think they did any good they're just doing more harm than good and If you see the dynamics between the Palestinian civilians and Hamas, you asked, you know, uh, their neighborhoods are being destroyed, their belongings are being burned down by bombs. How will they go back to normal lives? The Israelis drop the bombs. So it's been documented that Hamas literally chooses civilian uh, residential areas from where they could fire their rockets. So when there's retaliation, they can say that, you know, they're attacking neighborhoods where people live. It is real. But the problem is the Palestinians don't say it because their life is in danger if they speak out against Hamas. They'll be called as traitors, literally, you could say. So they don't have that free space where they can really express their opinions, telling, you know, uh, I mean, you guys want to fire your rockets, fine, but don't come to my house and do it that that freedom they don't have so and i think it is in their hands to come up and speak against this for that to change and still and asking me if there's a possible solution for this and what i would do here the thing is to build a lasting solution to the problem a solution that's not just there for a few months or a few years or just there only when uh the forces are there is Uh, I would say to integrate the economies on either sides and try to like the certain imageries prove far more destructive than um, like other actions. For example, that video of the Israeli policemen entering the mosque, firing those bullets, taking the protesters down, being that playing over and over again, it gives motivation for more youths in the Palestinian side to join ranks in Hamas it can be used as material as propaganda. Not even propaganda, like you just show that anyone would get angry. Like how can they desecrate that? I don't care if my own home is destroyed, but the mosque shouldn't be destroyed. So that could have been avoided, things like that. You need to build a better kind of understanding because it's not this change is not gonna happen overnight. And it's 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 gonna take at least a generation to for the situation to improve. But you'll have to improve your understanding with the people there for example um you increasing your settlements to areas that are not recognized under the u.n agreement or unless under the international agreement those are things i don't think you should do or you sh- um, It's it's if you really want peace there those are things that i would avoid because it's just antagonizing people even more because if you see the maps they have been quietly shrinking Uh, significantly across years on the Palestinian side because when a settler comes in and even if he just buys one house then he's there with all his guns out and his security and everything so that automatically intimidates the neighborhood around him so I would say things like that could be avoided and should be avoided if you really want people to achieve lasting peace there it's it just take one step at a time there's no one one solution to this you take different steps to increase understanding like okay you have the settlements you let people stay you you create some kind of like telling okay we are we are doing it as a goodwill that these people who we are forcibly evicting as a signature of goodwill we let them stay here you know 13 families what are they going to do they're within the borders they're not going to smuggle weapons there so just doing little things like that will also give uh, thoughts for people on it that's i think okay so these guys did this thing so their 13 families are there so then that'll motivate them to start looking for solutions if you're doing the same thing what your enemy is doing then it's only helping them and they don't want peace the peop when i say they i mean like the people in power like hamas and PLO they don't look like they genuinely want peace because as long as the conflict is running they'll keep get, getting funds from the UN from other rich Arab countries and they can just sit there and without doing any work, you know, they can just
0: earn. And then, like, the people who are being hurt are the children and the women and just civilians, just civilian casualties.
1: Yeah, just civilians. Civilians. On either side, even on the Israeli side, you know, just this one soldier
0: that was killed, there
1: were civilians, women and children.
0: Wow. So, Jonathan, like, as we uh, come to the closing segment, I want to make it personal a little bit. And I just want to ask you, so if you have a friend that is Jewish, or if you have a friend that is Palestinian, or like I would say, even like a friend that is sympathetic to the Jewish cause, or uh, someone who's sympathetic to the, um, you know, Palestinian cause, um, what do you say to them? Like, what's your closing statement? Uh, What are things that they should be You know, I mean, thinking about um, how would you encourage them? How would you you know? Because for us on this podcast, of course, we're trying to encourage people and we're trying to equip people. And for this podcast, we're really trying to equip people with truth. Um, But what would you what would you tell them? What would you encourage them with um, on either side for people who are really angry right now? They are confused. They're looking at the media and they're really angry. Uh, and rightly so, uh, what would you say, uh, first, let's start with the Palestinian side, you know, for those who are feeling really, uh, in a sense, in a sense, you know, I mean, really hurt and uh, don't have a voice. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't really say they don't have
1: a voice. Recent times, they're getting good, good number of voices. And it's, it's in one, one thing that I would like to make before I ask this question is, if you see, Europe that traditionally has been pro-Palestinian, the leaders are shifting towards pro-Israeli now. And it's it's, it's it's interesting to observe this because the dynamics in the Middle East have totally changed. It was all Palestinian-Israel conflict, but now it's totally changed into more business deals between Saudi Arabia and Israel, UAE and Israel. And Israel is heavily integrated into European technology and communications and space research. So, because these all are benefiting now, it's just Palestinians in a in a crude way to say who are having a problem with Israel. The rest are all trying to are fairly making good initiatives to get along with each other, and it's happening. So, I think uh, after a while, once these people learn to get along, the the Palestinians would just be allowed to you know find find a solution on their own, or their voice be suppressed. And yeah now, coming back to what I would say a Palestinian is i would I would give both of them the same advice that is, try to understand each other before you make any assumptions. This is to any people as well before saying I stand with Israel, try to understand the nature of the people there in the sense like their history um, the their conflict history, their culture, their traditions, even for Palestinians, just because. These people have been living there for a long time. So it's not like before uh, the Jews came from Europe, there were no Jews in that area. At all. There were Jews who were there, can kind of living for thousands of years. So I would say try to understand the people there, their history and culture before you try to uh, bring any peace. Because I think if you want to bring a real genuine solution to the problem, you need to understand the people there. That's where a lot of people make mistakes, is they come with pre-notions pre and pre-conceived plans that have worked in their own countries or their own conflicts that they have seen before. They, try, they, they think, okay, because this worked in a situation between A and B, it'll work in C and D as well. No, that doesn't happen. You have, to, you have to tailor it according to the people there, according to the nature there, and according to the stakeholders there. So that's what I would say. Go back to history. And one important point is to find common ground. Do you find a leader that for example a palestinian finds a leader that the israelis like and he has done something good for palestinians or he has taken a moral high ground at a certain place use that as an example to tell them hey bro you know this is something we can agree on you admire him and you respect him and look he's done this this sort of thing that was uh beneficial to our, our community but at the same time it did uh, cause any disadvantage to you. The same things the Israelis can do as well. Find some Arabs, find some Palestinians who had a genuine zeal for peace and they were nonviolent in their struggles. Find those common grounds and appreciate them and highlight the things they've done. And that will greatly help to change the mindset of people and start making
0: them ask questions and think on their own. That's amazing, Jonathan. That's a good closing segment. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast and uh just having this conversation with me it's not an easy conversation but i think there's a lot of truth and there's a lot of uh honestly a lot of uh good uh content for our viewers to in a sense give us feedback on yeah so if you are listening please go to our social media platforms and give us your feedback what do you think about what jonathan had to say do you have other opinions? Do you think that you have a better solution than Jonathan had? Um, I would really love to create conversation around this because um, the more we conversate, the more we dialogue, the more we can get along and see solutions, uh, I, I especially right now in these days when the world is becoming smaller and smaller with social media, with you know globalization, uh, it's really important to uh, have dialogue like this and so Jonathan thank you so much uh, do you have any closing statements or anything that you want to say to people any resources you want to send them to any author or any website that you'd recommend to someone who wants to know more about this conflict I mean there are resources that
1: um, I can ask Stephen to put on the social media or things that but just in simple words, I would say whenever you read news, always read news from either end of the spectrum, as people would call, call it. Something that's liberal, something that's conservative, just read things on both sides to get a full understanding. Just don't take a stand and just look at those resources that uh, agree to your side. But that's what I would say where, where you can start start doing right away, like on Twitter or on news websites, that's something you can start with right now itself. So.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Jonathan. And that is a wrap. We will see you guys next week. Thank you.